Hey friends, I know how busy this time of the year is. And as much as I love home-cooked meals, sometimes there is just not enough time. But I have good news for you. Factor offers delicious, ready-to-eat meals, which can make eating better every day easy. Wherever tomorrow takes you, be ready with your pre-prepared, chef-crafted, and dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. There are two-minute meals, so you can fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. They have snacks and smoothies and more. There's a wide variety of options and 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that will help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So head over to factormeals.com forward slash swanson50 and use code swanson50 to get, you guessed it, 50% off. That's code Swanson50 over at factormeals.com forward slash Swanson50, and you're going to get 50% off. No prep, no mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. Yay for that. I'll be linking over in show notes as well, but go check it out and tell me how you enjoy your Factor meals. Christian Parenting. Aloha friends, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast, powered by Christian Parenting. I am Monica Swanson, mom to four boys, podcast host and author of Boy Mom, What Your Son Needs Most From You. Here on the podcast, it's my goal to bring you practical advice and biblical wisdom for raising boys in this sometimes crazy world. You can always find show notes over at monicaswanson.com forward slash podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Because of putting myself in a position to understand the possibility of, of what why there could be blessing in the midst of grief happened when I wasn't grieving, but it gave it gave me a place in my mind for my heart to take refuge when I needed it. Because it was that understanding that helped me realize that you know what? God uses pain and suffering to bring us more deeply into our understanding of who he is and what is good about the, what is so good about the the gospel that we have a God who suffered for us, a God who did so in order to rescue us and to save us. Aloha friends, and welcome back to the Boy Mom Podcast. I am so glad you're here today, and I'm especially glad I get to share this conversation with you because This one really impacted me in a special way. Now, I love so much about podcasting. I love to bring old friends on. I love to meet new friends. I love learning from people and talking about interesting or fun topics. But today's a little bit different because I um, got to interview a couple, Pat and Tammy McLeod, who uh, went through something that they share about in their book, Hit Hard, One Family's Journey of Letting Go of What Was and Learning to Live Well with What Is. Uh, This is the story of their teenage son, one of their sons, who was in a football scrimmage 
college as a teenager and experienced a very serious brain injury. The journey that that sent them on, the journey they're still on, and I especially appreciated that I learned something new, and I think this will be new to a lot of people. They talk about the term ambiguous loss, and what was fascinating to me, and I've just been talking to everyone I talk to about this, is just how many people have experienced or are experiencing ambiguous loss and probably didn't know what to call it. And like we say in today's interview, if you haven't experienced it, you probably know someone who is going through it or you one day will go through it. And so I think this is a really important topic, something really helpful for all of us in one way or another. So I look forward to sharing this with you. And again, I really hope you can read their book. It was beautifully written and uh, something that I think can impact all of our lives. Now, before we dive into the interview, I just want to stop. And as always, first of all, thank you for just being here and for being a part of this podcast community. Thanks for the new ratings and reviews I've seen. They've been so encouraging. And most importantly, I want to make sure you know that this weekend is the big spring event with Christian Parenting. It's a perfectly imperfect event, which is all digital online, over 40 speakers. And I'm talking people like Paul David Tripp, Bob Goff, Jamie Ivey, Jess Connolly, even me. <laughs> I'm so excited about it. Um, but it is all online and you'll have a full 60 days to catch all the speakers. So though it begins this weekend, April 23rd and 24th, you'll have plenty of time to catch all the speakers and you can get your own tickets over at boymom.cpevent.org. Again, boymom.cp, as in Christian Parenting, event.org. Grab a ticket, tell your friends about this. Um, it, this particular event is called Refocused, Refined, and Ready, and I just think that is perfectly suited for where we're all at in this new year, in this springtime, where we need to be refocused, refined, and ready as we wrap up a school year and head into the summer. I think you're going to be so encouraged by all the parenting topics. I am personally talking about um, raising kids to spend time with God as a daily discipline. Um, it's really, really practical, but at the end of mine, my, my college son, my oldest son, Joseph, Josiah comes on to share a little bit of his perspective on growing up, learning to spend time with God, what that looked like as a teenager, and now how it looks in college. So I think you'll enjoy that. Um, but again, be sure to grab a ticket at boymom.cpevent.org. I think you're going to love it, and I can't wait to listen and learn from so many great speakers. Okay, so now without further ado, let's hop in and enjoy this conversation with Pat and Tammy McLeod. I hope you get a lot out of it. Pat and Tammy, welcome to the Boy Mom Podcast. Thank Thanks. you, Monica. It's it's such an honor to have you here. And I've been so touched by reading your book, Hit Hard. And I just am so um, happy to get to share your story and this book with all of my listeners. Before we dive in and just kind of chat about your family and your story, would you just give a brief introduction to who you are and where you are and all that? Pat and I are Harvard chaplains for crew. So we've been working for 36 years with undergraduates, 18 to 23 year olds and love college ministry. We're, I can add to that, I guess. We're, we're currently in the city of Boston. We work directly with students at Harvard. Um, we're also heavily involved in an international partnership with um, a place called Mama Lodi, which is on the outskirts of Pretoria. Uh, where we've been taking students for the last, I think, 13 years to 
do a service learning project. It's basically a supplemental educational program for at-risk youth in um, in the townships of South Africa. And we have four adult children, three of whom are boys. So I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> yes. And what are their ages now? 31 to 23. Wow. Oh, my goodness. So it's a new season for you. Yeah. <laughs> my goodness. Well, um, we chatted briefly before we started the interview um, that my husband has a background with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. And I just love everything about that ministry. And you were in Boston for all this time, right? I'm just getting the background no, here. Actually, we started on the West Coast. So, oh, um, yeah, we okay. were at the University of Pacific originally. And then we spent 12 years in Montana, never expected to ever leave there, uh, but oh. came to Boston in part to do graduate school while we were still mm -hmm. on staff. And then um, we did that under the assumption we'd, we would go back to Montana, but we've never gone back yet. Wow. 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 Okay. And so is Montana home for the two of you or where's, where's your, where did you come it, it's from? It's where we were married, but I actually am the native of Montana and, and uh, I pulled Tammy all the way from Pennsylvania. <laughs> okay. Wow. And now Boston is home and you've got an amazing community. It sounds like there. Yeah. Yes. And one of our friends who lives here in Boston um, was a Harvard graduate and he was from Hawaii. So we've actually spent oh. time at his house in Hawaii and great oh. memories when we think about talking with you right now. Oh, yes. That's so cool. Well, I've never been to Boston, so <laughs> I would love to go. And um, just sounds like such a beautiful part of the world. Well, we are going to dive in and share a little bit of your story. And I've been really enjoying reading your book, Hit Hard, One Family's Journey of Letting Go of What Was and Learning to Live Well with What Is. Um, this book has really touched me. I've, I've shed uh, quite a few tears reading it. I've laughed. It's so beautifully written. Um, and my husband and I have just, it's really brought up some great conversations. And that's my hope for uh, listeners as they hear a little bit about your story today and then hopefully can read your book is that it would um, just inspire people to really take some time to think whether uh, they relate to things that you've gone through and are going through or whether uh, it perhaps can prepare all of us because life has a lot of hard stuff, right? That's mm -hmm. something you've walked through. And, you know, often when people ask me how I'm doing, I'm always like, we're in a really good season. And, and I think I say that because I'm very aware that life is fragile. I, mm. I know so many people and have close relatives and friends who have had great loss and gone through such hardships. And so I hold, want to, and I pray that I would hold loosely to all the blessings of today, knowing that life includes hard times when you are walking with God and when you're not. I mean, being a Christian following God doesn't mean we are spared from hard things. And you guys have gone through something really, really hard. So if you are um, comfortable doing it, would you just take readers through kind of this, um, what, the, what the book is about, maybe just what was going on when um, you walk through this very difficult time with your son, Zach? Sure. I can, I can open the, the conversation and the story sure. by telling you how this all began. We, Tammy and I were actually at the first a large group meeting of the entire school year 
And uh, if you can imagine, it, the meeting had just ended. It's sort of like the ending of a rock concert because there's a lot of singing, a lot of young people who are really excited to see each other, having been on opposite sides of the continent. And we even had some Hawaiians in that group. Um, <laughs> and anyway, they were um, happy to see each other. And I was in a conversation when this Harvard student came up behind me and interrupted the conversation I was in sort of rudely and handed me her phone. She said, your son is trying to reach you. It was our third child, Nate, who was home alone that night. And uh, our youngest son was actually with us at the meeting. Our oldest child, which is our daughter, had just gone to college and she was um, in Tennessee. And then we had uh, our second son at a football scrimmage. Anyway, it was our third son on the phone, panicked and and just said, dad, why aren't you answering your phone? And our phones had been tucked away in our bag and turned off. So we didn't, we didn't respond. And he said, Zach has been hurt. And that's his brother, his older brother. First of all, parents were calling and then the coaches started calling and now the hospital is calling and they need to talk to you. Um, they said Zach collapsed. He's being airlifted to a hospital and that he has to undergo a brain surgery and they need your permission. And I was stunned, but within seconds had gathered Tammy and son Soren and we were racing down the road to get to this hospital. When we arrived, we met with the doctor in the presence of Zach, who was intubated and still dressed in his football uniform um, and unconscious. He explained to us that he had suffered a bleed in uh, inside the brain cavity and that they were going to need to open up the skull cap, evacuate the, the blood that had accumulated there and cauterize the vessels to stop the bleeding. And then he informed us that this could result in death. And he said, but, you know, he could survive and he could have a, a full recovery or anything in between. We signed the the paper and then were given a chance to pray with Zach and then they whisked him away. And five hours later, uh, the nurse came and got us, brought us to meet with the doctor who informed us that Zach had survived and that they would just have to wait and see. And um, basically his, he, he not only survived that surgery, but he survived another one that came a couple of days later and two more that came further down the road. Uh, and our marriage has survived. So has our family survived. Our faith has survived. Uh, but a, a portion of Zach's brain did not survive. And that's our introduction into the world of ambiguous loss. Wow. Um, and you tell the story so well, um, well, today, but also in the book, just walking through it. Um, I love that you each share your your story. So it kind of goes back and forth between each of your perspectives. And um, it was gripping. I And I had some very late nights because I couldn't put the book down. So um, beautifully written really draws us in and also just um, makes you realize that in that moment when that person interrupted you at the meeting, like everything changed, right? And every parent's worst nightmare just happened. And yet you didn't have time to process because you, the next months uh, literally were just all consuming, right? A lot of time at the hospital, rehab center, and yet you had these other children so um, maybe either of you walk us through some of those times. Tell us what that was like. So he went from the ICU to an acute rehab and he learned to walk 
and sit and eat again. But by the end of four months in the acute rehab, they said if you want Zach to have a strong recovery, you should send him to a residential neuro rehab school. So we did that. And he continued to get better during that time. But at about the one-year mark, we realized he was not going to have a full recovery. He has very little short-term memory. He can't speak hardly at all. And he has right-side weakness of all kind and lots of other things to deal with as losses. But at that point in time, I thought he's not going to have a strong recovery. I started reading grief books. And the Greek books were just not helping because Zach didn't die. He was still alive, but he wasn't the same. And I just couldn't find things that told us how to deal with the situation. So it took actually six years for me to find the term ambiguous loss. I just was becoming frustrated because no colleagues, no friends, Um, knew anything about this area. And Mm -hmm. so I just called the rehab hospital and asked, I want to do a graduate research paper on this type of loss. Can you tell me what the term is? And the librarian called back the next day with the term. He said, what you're dealing with is ambiguous loss. And here are a few articles. Wow. I clicked on them, read them, ordered Pauline Boss's books right away. And she talks about two types of ambiguous loss. The first is physical absence with psychological presence. So that would be like people missing due to war, terrorism, natural disasters, kidnapping, incarceration, divorce, adoption, immigration, or psychological absence with physical presence is the second type. And that's what we're dealing with. So traumatic brain injury, Alzheimer's disease, other dementias, chronic mental illness and addictions. And that covers a lot. Yeah. I'm thinking a lot of people listening, one of those two categories must have, you know, some experience with one of those two. And if they don't, they inevitably will. That's right. That's right. Wow. And I'm, I'm thinking, Tammy, that that must have felt somewhat affirming or like a relief to find what it was you were dealing with for all those years to just have a name for it. Yes. And Pauline Boss, um, who coined the term, she said that rarely is there acceptance for ambiguous loss, and there's never closure. And when she said the word never closure, I was like, oh, finally, somebody understands me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can imagine. And and as you share in the book, the two of you uh, really walked through this whole process differently. I mean, thank God that you stuck it out together, but I think we're all wired so differently. I imagine if my husband and I went through something, we would have very different ways of handling it as well. But I see for you, Tammy, that was so important because you were really living in that place of, of grief and, Mm. um, and you needed somebody to help you understand that and, and accept it. Right. Because that wasn't always easy. I, it sounds like Pat, I'm probably a little more like you, like you went to the, you went to the side of trying to stay positive and putting, you know, all your energy into the rehab itself. Right. Is that, tell us a little bit about how you dealt with that, Pat. Yeah, that's, that's, you're right. I think, um, 
one of the insights that Pauline Boss brought. I mean, first of all, her her naming this was huge for both of us. Um, yeah. And it was especially, like you said, helpful for Tammy because it validated, validated what right. she was experiencing, which was this grief, this unresolved grief. And But it, it was also helpful for me because one thing that she noted is that the goal or the key to living with an ambiguous loss is learning to live well with both having and not having at the same time. And that's really difficult for an individual to do. They, we typically will do either one or the other, or in some cases, neither. Um, uh, and then it's, so that, that's hard for the individual. But then when you have a couple and one is doing one and the other is doing the other, in other words, one yes. person, like you said, you and I, you know, I was just uh, completely obsessing over the son that I still had. And yeah. uh for the most part, in complete denial about the sum that I had lost. And mm. Tammy was just the opposite. She was treating it as if he had died, but having, you know, her challenge was revising her attachment to the son that's still there, given so much of the way she had connected to him and bonded with him was gone in an instant, you know. So that's really the story you're talking about that, that mm-hmm. is probably the main, one of the main storylines of this this book is that, you know, how that, I mean, this is, this is why a lot of marriages don't survive things like this, this kind of ambiguity, because people do get frozen in the process because of the lack of validation, the lack of closure, the lack of a ceremony that actually marks a significant loss. All that stuff was just, was absent, you know, and it just, it, it, you know, leads to depression. It torques the relationships, not just between you know, the person and the injured, but, but between everyone in the family, you know, our kids Absolutely. were all, yes. all of our relationships were toward. Yes. Okay. So I'd love to pause right there and talk to those, you know, who aren't necessarily in a time of ambiguous loss right now, but I want to talk about things that you were doing first in your mm-hmm. marriage and then um, maybe a little bit about the family, the, the other children as well. But what are some of the things you were doing in your marriage that you think paid off during this time that helped you survive when you were going through such a rough season? Even before this time, I think the pattern of having a weekly date night mm. every single week for all of our lives was helpful yep. because awesome. we were going into this tragedy mm. with a really strong bond in our marriage. Um, but then once we hit it, one of the best things we did was go to grief counseling. And I remember there, the thing that stood out to me the most was the counselor saying, be gentle with each other. <laughs> so because we were coming from two different perspectives and we couldn't really understand where the other person was coming from, we really had to tone it down and be gentle in situations Practically, we decided we already had the rule of don't talk about tough things after 9 p.m. at night. I love that. We added to that, save the really, really intense conflict for the counseling office. Wow. So we didn't try to get into the really big things on our own. We tried to do that in front of another person who could help us filter through those. I think another thing, Timmy, by the way, 
I didn't say this, but she was at the best place that she had ever been in her spiritual life going into this. Like uh, she had taken, she had taken a lot of time and done, done a lot of internal work to just get to that place. And um, that was a real gift. One thing I will say along the lines of what you're, what I think you're getting at is that I remember a couple of years before this happened, I actually studied the Sermon on the Mount and I gave a, um, a talk. Uh, I actually, usually when I study passages, I try to, um, you know, write a message on them. And that's one of my favorite parts of the Bible study process. So I had given a talk on Jesus' words, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. And it was interesting because after I was done, and because, I mean, it's such a fascinating passage. It's almost, it's such an obvious sort of oxymoron. How happy are those who are sad? And so I studied it and I gave what I thought was a pretty good talk, but this guy came up to me afterwards and he was like, he accosted me. He's like, have you ever lost someone? Have you ever really suffered? Have you ever really grieved? And And I was like, it wow. was clear that he wasn't asking me a question. He was making a statement and, and mm-hmm. I conceded. I'm like, yeah, yeah, probably not. You know, I have lost a couple of grandparents, but probably not. And and he was just like, that's what I thought, you know, and he was wow. in many ways right because I was in no position to be lecturing people about how to grieve or what, what the blessed sacredness of grieving is. But ironically, this is the crazy maker. This is one of many moments in our journey where you begin to see that the small stories of loss in our life beg for a bigger story that can absorb them and make sense of them and give us hope in the midst of them. And this, uh, you know, so six years later, when I, when our life was changed by that phone call, it was a week after Zach's accident that we were in a prayer meeting that was put on at his own school. Like they had hosted this meeting to anyone on in the, in the secular, this is a secular, not a Christian school, was invited wow. to a prayer meeting. And wow. one of Zach's friends got up to give a tribute to Zach. And this guy told this story of how Zach was on his way to a, a game uh, and they were sitting next to each other. And Zach pulled out his Bible and started reading his Bible. And his Bible started to slip off his lap. So his friend caught it before it fell down and started reading it. And he said, and this is what Zach was reading. And guess what he read? The yeah. Sermon on the Mount. And, and wow. beginning with, well, the first beatitude followed by the one I just said, blessed are those yeah. who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then, you know, as soon as that hit me, I mean, there's much more to this story that I'm going to say, but it was like, this was exactly what was happening because of what had happened before, because of putting myself in a position to understand the possibility of, of what, why there could be blessing in the midst of grief happened when I wasn't grieving. But it gave, it gave me a place in my mind for my heart to take refuge when I needed it. Wow. Because it wow. was that understanding that helped me realize that, you know what, God uses pain and suffering to bring us more deeply into our understanding of who he is and what is good about the what is so good about the, the gospel um, that we have a God who suffered for us a God who is did so in order to rescue us and to save us wow that's powerful 
I'm sure in that moment you were like, you were really touched by that. Mm. That's, that's super powerful. And to think that your son had been reading that and, and that's a good opportunity. You know, I know from reading the book, but tell us a little bit about Zach before the accident, because man, anyone who listens to my podcast knows that I'm just crazy about all of my boys, but I have to say my oldest son, Josiah, who's now a junior in college, just reminds me a lot of Zach. And, and this has been good for me to sit before the Lord and say, you know, if if this day came for me, how would I be ready? How could I be ready? God help me to be ready for whoever in my life. But tell us a little bit about Zach, because he, he was, an incredible kid and um, now is a, a different incredible adult, but tell us a little bit about him. So he had a very strong relationship with God and he loved people well. So at school, people would know him as someone who, when he, they gave him a compliment, he would turn it around and give a compliment to that person. He would be holding the doors for the women. He was just known for the person who looked out for the underdog uh, in the school. So some of those parents of those children called us afterwards and talked about how much their child missed him being an advocate for them at the school. And he loved other marginalized people, like people who are unhoused in Harvard Square. He actually knew them by name and he would take them food. (laughs) Mm-hmm. with some of the money that he got from. And this was as a 16-year-old, right? Yes. Yeah. So he was just a great kid, um, strong athlete. So he played football, basketball, and lacrosse. And Good-looking kid, too. <laughs> <laughs> Handsome boy. And he had a heart for missions, right? Yeah. he after going to South Africa, wanted to move there, marry a South African and adopt 10 AIDS orphans. Oh my goodness. We had a conversation right before his injury. He said, I think I might go and get my medical school degree. And then when I go to South Africa, I could be able to help with problems that they have um, in the township. So that was his plan. He was going to go to med school and then move to South Africa and work in the townships. Wow. Tell us, if you would, the story of um, when he first was able to communicate by typing words in what he wrote. That just really was a cool story. Yeah. So, um, okay, now you're going to make me cry. (laughs) Um, I'll try. Jenny pointed to me. She said, I can try to tell you. So, uh, you know, Zach had formed some really, really close friendships that last time that we were in South Africa before his injury. And interestingly, he, he and I were having this conversation uh, about this, these children that were, that lived in a disabled children's home that we stayed in. And we had formed really tight bonds with these kids and fallen in love with them. And we were reflecting on that over breakfast. This was the week before his injury. And, and then Zach turned to me suddenly and he looked at me and he said, dad, you know, I've just wondered, if God would ever have me become like one of those disabled children. And 
And I remember taking it very, it was a weird comment. I took it very seriously though. And I just said, you know, Zach, if anything ever happened to you and you, you did, you know, we would love you the same way we love those kids. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know, a few weeks, a few days later, you know, we get the call and um, that first four Oh, let's see. What was it? Five weeks, six mm-hmm. weeks in the ICU. Zach hardly said a word. He could just basically respond to us, but not really form a sentence. And when he finally got put into the rehab hospital, we it was the second or third day there. Um, our whole family was around him and he started trying to say something to us. And so we pulled out this little typewriter um, that it was not a typewriter, but it was a picture of a keyboard on a piece of paper on a cardboard paper and I said Zach uh, just point to the word you're trying to say and so he first he said uh, he he pointed to a d and then an o and and I'm like do what Zach is and he kept going he said he pointed to an n and then a t don't okay don't what Zach and then he he spelled go and we're like don't worry Zach we're not leaving And, and but he was still going trying to communicate something so we were all it was like a game of charades everyone was guessing what he was saying i can see it and finally we figured out what he was saying and um it was for us like the a commencement address like beginning this new phase of his recovery in earnest he said don't go back to africa without me wow what a heart the the things that did stick with him and he has continued to um, have a heart for the Lord, right? He prays even through all of this. You've seen that core of who he is, right? Yes. He's even when we call him at his group home right now, he requires one-on-one care 24 hours a day. So people have to put up with him all night. And sometimes when we call him, he's on his knees by the couch in the house <laughs> where he lives. Wow. Wow. And he would do that all the time. Um, My bond with Zach was not just a strong mother bond, but a strong spiritual bond. So we would pray every night before bed. So he's just praying all the time. And And he still likes to do music with you, right? You worship together? Yeah. So yesterday he just got out of COVID lockdown for the first time. And we got to sing in a Lenten service. online it was awesome and so he his left hand still works and he still has short-term memory and so long-term memory he still has long-term memory right so he knows all the chords so he plays the left hand and since his right hand doesn't work well anymore i play the right so i reach around (laughs) him and play oh wow um so we got to do that yesterday in church oh my goodness that is incredible Hey friends, I hope you're enjoying this conversation and there's still more yet to come, but I wanted to pause real quick to thank this episode's sponsor, which I'm really excited about. We are working with strikeclub.com and Strike Club is 
skincare essentials for the boys. Seriously, how much could I love that? Skincare essentials for the boys. So if your teen or preteen struggles with acne, it's time to try a proven solution formulated by a pediatric dermatologist. For most boys, a multi-step skincare routine is too much. Amen to that. And Strike Club products work so hard, you don't need a routine. It's effective, simple, clean, and has five-star reviews at Target. So guys, go on over to strikeclub.com and use code BOYMOM to receive 10% off your purchases. You can also buy Strike Club at Target or at target.com. Strike Club sent me a bag full of these products. My boys love them. And the truth is I love the packaging. It's so clean and simple. It just looks like something boys would love and it is great quality products. So I hope you love it too. Thank you Strike Club for sponsoring this episode and go find them at strikeclub.com. Now back to the show. As we talk about who he is today, and I I know I'm hopping around a little bit, but there's so much. I wish I could talk to you guys for hours, but I would love for you to share because one thing that touched me, and again, I was brought to tears many times in your story, but I was so blessed to hear about the ceremonies because like you've talked about, and I think this idea of ambiguous loss is so important. I mean, I'm really, it's, it's changed my understanding of so many things. Like I mentioned to you before we recorded, we have close friends who recently had a child who has spina bifida and hydrocephalus and, and they're dealing with the loss of what they thought they would have, but the reality that they do have a beautiful son, but it will never be what they had imagined. And, and my husband, whose mother has Alzheimer's disease and, and he's, he's lost a mother, but she's still there. And his father has lost a wife, but she, so this, it's really an incredible concept. And, and I appreciate so much having a term for it now as well, but to really find closure in what you had and live with what you now have, you had two ceremonies. Would you share with us just a little bit about those two ceremonies? Yes. The first one was a ceremony that was focused on the loss and Zach was not there. So we had people walk into the foyer of a church and we had lover of God table, lover of sport table, lover of the outdoors table. And then we put those items on those tables. And then we had one table that had all the posters and banners and cards that people had sent to encourage us over the years. So people just milled about in the foyer for a few minutes before coming into the sanctuary. And then we did a song with a slideshow. It was basically Zach's favorite songs with a slideshow of him before his injury. And, and then people spoke too, right? Because that had me just, that's where the tears really came. Yeah, and so all of our family got up and shared what they missed mm. about Zach. Mm. So I talked about missing watching him on the athletic fields and playing worship songs with him and um, praying with him and just him asking me how I'm doing. So mostly I missed his voice being able to relate that way. And then each child got up and shared what they lost. And that was so helpful to me because I got to hear from their point of view what they lost. And then we gave people five minutes of silence to write on blue cards things that they missed about Zach. And then some got up and spoke there, which was really meaningful. And then we just played a song that I had written for Zach with a slideshow. Um, Pat made 
and we did a, actually a litany of ambiguous loss. And the person who works at Stanford and does the same job we do wrote that litany and we set it together. And then when people walked out, they dropped their cards with the losses in a bottle to show that that verse that talks about God holding our tears mm. in the bottle. So good. Um, so then, Pat, if you could just talk about the second thing that we did. Yeah, so when Tammy, um, you know, came up with this idea, it wasn't her first, the first time that she had recommended that we do something on the anniversary of Zach's accident. She had been doing that every year for probably five years. And I thought that was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, and I just didn't want to go there mostly because, you know, of what I was doing, which was suppressing my my grief and sadness. And so, uh, but she, she actually, that proposal was accompanied with, you know, initially her dropping her research paper on my lap and saying, <laughs> read this. Uh, and it was, yeah. you know, I wasn't surprised at all that it was about grief. Mm -hmm. What I was surprised by was that she had a name for the kind of grief we were experiencing. And so I got sucked in and it just so happened that year Zach's um, birthday and the, the anniversary of his accident are, you know, only two days apart. And between them, that was a Saturday, a day off. And I thought, well, let's just do both in one day. That way we will have a chance to gather with people, not just who knew him before his injury, but even people who have come to know him because of this accident. And we could celebrate his life on the same day that we acknowledge the losses that came with his accident. It was wow. really, it was a great day without a doubt. And a key, a key turning point in, in not just our relationship, but I think a healing moment for our whole family. So Zach was at that second, Yeah, basically it was a birthday party. Birthday party. Oh. And um, he was hugging everyone as they came in. And then we had people write on gold cards, what they loved about Zach. And then they mm. got up at a microphone and shared those things. And then you would hug each one. Mm. So it was an amazing party. Mm. Wow. He's a hugger, right? Yep. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just full of joy. Yeah. Yeah. The most happy, like... joyful person I know. <laughs> wow. Wow. That is incredible. Well, as we talk about these two ceremonies, Pat, um, you're talking to a bunch of boy moms and some dads. And I think that one thing I read and would love for you to expound on a little bit here is just your process as a man mm. um, learning to accept and deal with and acknowledge mm. the grieving process yourself. Do you mm. mind sharing a little about that? And sure. maybe too about your sons. I'm sure that some of this you've walked through with them as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Monica, thanks for pointing out those things. I, I do want to say this, by the way, because I know your audience is moms. And um, and I do think that Hit Hard is a book that will um, connect with moms. It's been driven by a mom, for sure. But this never would have happened if Tammy hadn't been consistent mm. about us doing this together. Um, but for for those moms, if, you know, who will read this book, there's a there's an important father son story in this book and and I think 
there's a football story, there's an underdog comeback story, a sports mm-hmm. story. It's a little bit of a theodicy of search for yeah. God in the face of pain and tragedy and suffering. Um, but I think most people are going to read this because it talks about the most important relationships in life, not just a mother and a child or a husband and a wife, uh, but a father and a son. So, um, and I think the one of the big takeaways for this for me is that, um, and I don't, I think in general, I don't know that America culture, at least white, I'm a white person and I don't think we're really good, especially on the man side of with grief. In fact, it's not it's not just that we are never uh, taught how to grieve or it's not never really modeled to us. But in some cases like mine, you're I was raised not to I was taught not to grieve. Like you don't acknowledge your pain. You, you don't cry. You always don't cry. You tough it out. You um stay focused on the positive. You show no visible sign of weakness. These are the messages that men, a lot of men in our society internalize. And as a result, you know, I just felt like it was weak to, Mm -hmm. to, to really acknowledge those, those emotions. And um, for sure that, that summer when we did that, when we prepared for that event was a turning point because what I did in preparation of that, that gathering is I was in charge of, well, I wanted to make a, um, uh, a movie, an iMovie that would take the, my favorite pictures of Zach before uh, and put them to music of, uh, of his favorite music before the injury. And oh my goodness, doing that, mm. you know, daily for, I can't imagine was such a cathartic thing. And it just, and it began, I began to realize that it's like when those tears began to flow, it almost felt like poison was coming out of me that had been inside, you know, that just needed, if it didn't come out, writing the book did the same thing. I mean, a couple of those chapters that I wrote, one, (laughs) one of them I wrote from the same seat in the Starbucks in Harvard Square every day for three days. I just went to that same seat, got there early so I could get it. <laughs> and it was a seat that it would be hard for people to see me cry. But but sometimes people would be sitting so close that they would notice this, this grown man sobbing. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like occasionally I just needed to tell them, listen, this is good. Don't feel bad for me because <laughs> if I don't do this, I'm just... this is poison coming out of me and it needs to get out. Just let me do my thing here. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think moms have a lot of teaching and modeling that they can do about how to deal with loss with sons. Sure. Mm. And, and dads might need to recognize areas that they, you know, whether it's just the culture, how they were raised. I think this is so common. I know my boys have said, you know, they've hardly seen their dad cry. And I try to try to assure them that he does have emotions. (laughs) But I think that's so, I I see this definitely as um, a need for men to talk to their sons about, about feelings in general, just emotions. Mm, Yeah. And, um, and have you, and, you know, we've hardly gotten to, um, your kids in all of this and and that's a whole nother topic. And and I'll probably just point people to the book because you do a great job of talking about your kids as well. But, um, as far as the boys go, since we're on this topic of men and grieving, 
Um, Pat, is this something that you were able then to mm. help your sons through? I mean, I know Chelsea, there's some incredible stories about her walking through this, being away at college and coming home. And I know she was very close to Zach, but is it something you just opened up conversations and walked your sons through? I'm sure they've each gone through it differently. Yeah, they have some, you know, two, my two sons are very, you know, other than Zach are very different. And I, right. I actually think the oldest of those two did a pretty darn good job. I think he's pretty mm. emotionally connected, but maybe better than any of us at mm. this. Um, because he, he's, he would be an example of someone who I think did both. He learned to live well with both having and not having. He didn't deny the loss. He grieved it. Um, but he delights in this, in the brother he still has and, and is very affectionate. And they, those two really connect. And I, you know, I will, this is, if I could give one word of advice to like people out there that are not only, you know, like me in the way that I've already described myself as, um, but, but who might be Christian or, or, you know, um, Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I was raised by the father I told you about who. The only time I'd ever seen him cry was when when his dad, my grandfather, died. And 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 then he just I just think we noticed that, you know what? My dad just pulled a, a, a handkerchief out of his pocket and wiped his eye. I think he's crying. And that was as, as much as we saw. But we wow. were both like, OK, at least there's one place where a man can show his sadness at the funeral of a father. And then and then when I in college, when I became a Christian, the first you know, Christian funeral I went to of an evangelical believer, they had turned the the one place that I felt like I was safe to cry uh, into a celebration of life. And so even mm. in, in those, you know, I thought, now that's something's wrong there. If, if oh, yeah. the center of our story, Jesus, when he showed up at a funeral, wept, yeah. right? right? And so right. Um, it's not, and it's not that it's wrong to celebrate the resurrection at a, at a funeral. I think without, I mean, we should, there should be some level of that, but it should also be a moment where we acknowledge that this world is filled with suffering and that's really sad. And we lose, when we lose people, we, there's a real loss that we need to allow ourselves to feel and to acknowledge together in a community. Mm. Oh, that's huge. That is so important. I'm really glad you said that. And I think that's, something that we can even just talk about before we're in those moments with our children, with our husbands. That's just super powerful stuff that you've walked through. And again, I'm just so thankful that you shared about all of that. Well, I know that I can't keep you too much longer here. There's more topics that I would love to talk about, um, especially as far as the kids go. Kids are um, all adults now. Are you all in a community where you can everyone can see Zach? Has anyone moved away? What tell us kind of bring us up to speed on that now? Our daughter is in Australia. So oh. she's uh the country's locked down. So we haven't right. seen her for Australia's crazy months. right now. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I'm sorry, that's hard. And then we have one son who's a senior at Harvard and he's still with us because of the pandemic because they're all online classes. And then our middle son is in LA and we just got to see him for the first time in 15 months because of the pandemic. And he does come home in non-pandemic days 
I once or twice a year, and he always mm-hmm. loves seeing Zach. Yeah, so mm-hmm. he has a good relationship with him. Awesome. And Zach is in a community living situation now. Is that right? Yeah. So he's in a group home with four other young men. And so there's about five guys in the house with five workers. So it's, he loves being around people. So being around Mm -hmm. 10 people is great for him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I, I'm so glad you included uh, pictures in the book of him before and now. Um, because I just love seeing the smile on his face. My boys are big Tim Tebow fans, seeing him hugging Tim Tebow and (laughs) all of you together. That smile just says so much, and it must feel so good to see him so happy despite the loss. Yes. Yes. It is, and it's a a good reminder that for me when you say that to acknowledge that our story, even though it's, it is tragic um, compared to some of these other stories of people who, what people are facing, um, you know, it's it's so light, it seems to me, in comparison. So I, not that you should even compare, but we just want to acknowledge that um, life is filled with suffering and, and pain. Right. It is. Well, perhaps you could just speak a word or two to... Um... People who, again, haven't walked through anything like this, what are some things you would say, do this now um, before somebody's hit hard in one way or another? What, what are some things you would encourage people to do if they want to know that if that day, when that day comes, they're going to get through it? Maybe not easily, but they're going to get through it. Two things for me that I think about, and I can see from just being in relationship with you through reading about your story and your family story is to develop your faith. And like Pat said, before the injury, it was the greatest decade of my life of a really intimate relationship with God. So I feel like when the tragedy hit, I just continued to experience his nearness. And so that was great to just have God's support moving through a trial And the second thing is developing close relationships with your kids. I just love our kids so much. And we, of course, have three boys and they're so precious to me. So I just spent a lot of time with them when they were young. I also homeschooled like you Mm -hmm. did. And so we just had Many, many hours together <laughs> building relationships. Mm-hmm. No regrets, and right? Even when they went to school, just hanging out with them after school and lots of great conversations. So the two things I think about immediately are just developing your relationship with God and your relationship with your kids. Yeah, I would add for me, um, We've been asked numerous times in interviews, especially in more secular contexts, um, how this has shaped, how this has affected our faith. And usually the assumption behind the question has been, you know, wow, you guys are, you know, chaplains and, and you believe in God and you believe God loves you, yet your lives have been wrecked by this tragic accident. How, how has that affected your faith? And uh, the honest answer for both of us has been 
um, well, this is what I say is I just say, you know, if, if what you're really asking is, do I ever question my faith? The answer is absolutely. I've had many times where I've wrestled with my, my faith and my belief and even, you know, the possibility is, is what I believe true is God really out there and does he really care? I said, but not, none of those happened in the context of this with Zach. And it's it's actually to the contrary, like the moments in my life where I have felt so overwhelmed by the presence of the living God in my midst, four out of, out of five of those occurred at the moment of my most desperate sadness in this story, because it was at that time where I was suddenly overwhelmed again with what I had said earlier, the, 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 the presence of a God, not not the unmoved mover of the philosophers, not that kind of a God, but the, the crucified mm-hmm. God that we celebrate, like we're doing this, I know it may not be put out there till after Easter, but it's, this is right before right. Easter and the and, and yeah. it is, is is being overwhelmed by the thought that the that God has revealed himself in the suffering Christ as a God who's come into this world and understands our pain. And has come to save us from it. So, um, so putting our soul in a place where we can become acquainted with that God, and so that when this stuff does hit, we realize that you know God understands. He's tasted much greater pain than any any of us ever will, um, but he's tasted he's he's tasted it so that he can save us from it. Right. Right. Yeah, I love that. And as my husband and I were talking about your story too, my husband was just reminding me of how important it must have been just to have that eternal perspective as you walk through this, mm-hmm. knowing how much bigger eternity is than anything we walk through here on this earth. That's I, I love that for um, what you just shared because yeah. it really does point to that. And the bigger story, like you said, your story is a important story, but it's, it's written within the bigger story, yeah. which... Is just beautiful. Well, guys, I'm so glad I got to meet you. And now I hope we can meet in person one day and, yeah. and stay in touch. And, you know, it would just be fun to share boy stories and, and <laughs> <laughs> talk more about crew and, and all of the things that you do. You have been back to Africa, right? Yeah. yeah. Can I tell you the, the, Please. the, the story? So, yes. Um, you know, after about three years, Zach. You know, it was clear he wasn't going to have a full recovery, but he was well enough to to make that trip. Wow. And we went ahead of him by a few days to get everything set. And then we put him on a plane with a really close friend. And that was quite a trip. And uh, a real, like, dramatic moment occurred halfway through the second flight to South Africa, like a 13-hour flight. And Zach had to go to the bathroom, and she took him. And she was waiting outside and he was taking a long time. So she decided she would just go in and get him up, but she couldn't get in. He had locked the door. And so he waited a little while longer and started asking and getting no response. And then, you know, every minute that beyond that, it was, she was getting more and more panicked. Finally, she gets this, the flight attendant and, and it's been like 15 minutes and they're panicked. And so they, they find a way to open the door. And when they do, Zach, if you can just picture him with his hands clasped in a prayer position, seated with, with, you know, not going to the bathroom, his pants were on. He was just seated there <laughs> praying. And his, oh. and, uh, and uh, Kat said, Zach, 
And he didn't even <laughs> open his eyes. He just stuck his finger up in the air like, one, one minute, minute, please. I'm still praying. <laughs> Stop right now. Yeah, that, that's, our oh. son. that's a good glimpse of our son. I have to meet him. I'm, I have to meet him. I, hope you I want my boys to meet him. Um, okay, love the, love the airplane story, but he went to Africa then oh. and got to reconnect with some of the children, right? Yes, that was where I was going with that. I forgot. <laughs> That's okay. Oh I love the story. So got back there. That was pretty amazing. You know, nothing had really changed. Zach still had that oh. same magical yeah. way of bridging the yeah. world of, of, you know, disability, we call it, with ability, I guess. It was pretty awesome. If anyone would like to get a glimpse of the Zach we've been talking about and um, both before and after the accident, you can see lots of good stuff on our uh, Pat and Tammy McLeod.com website. And that's where you spell the and, A-N-D. And our last name is M-C-L-E-O-D. Perfect. And I'll be linking to that in show notes for sure. And then you're also on Instagram, right? Yes. Pat and Tammy McLeod. Terrific. I will be linking to all of that. Well, I really encourage people to uh, read your book. I can't wait to stay in touch with you and hopefully meet you. And and whether I get to Boston and get to meet Zach or you all get to Hawaii, I hope we can connect in person one day. Thank <laughs> you, Monica. Thanks so much. You bet. Aloha. Okay, friends. I hope again, that you enjoyed that conversation and maybe took some notes, be sure to go over to show notes where you can um, find a link to the book Hit Hard, as well as the website where you can see some of those videos and learn more about the McLeod's story. Also in show notes will be a link to the online event this weekend. Um, Again, it's Christian Parenting. And this event is called Refocused, Refined, and Ready. And oh my goodness, in a season like this, coming up on the end of spring and summertime, I think we all could use some serious refreshing. And that's what I'm looking forward to. So again, you can get tickets at boymom.cpevent.com org or go over to show notes. Hey, I appreciate you all so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. And next week we are starting a fun two-week focus on Mother's Day because you know what, moms? (laughs) You deserve it. So we're going to be talking Mother's Day stuff the next two weeks. And I think you're going to be super encouraged. Spread the word, come back. And until next time, aloha. Aloha.